worship band, as always, do a great job leading us in worship of our Lord. Hope everyone's having a great Sunday so far this morning. Uh, we are continuing our journey through the book of Genesis, and we will be in Genesis uh, chapter 29 and 30 this morning, if you want to find that before we uh, dive in, um, as we continue the story of Jacob and continue the story of God's uh, chosen family from the book of Genesis. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. So join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this morning when we can come together and worship you as your family, when we can come together as your body and praise your holy name. Lord, I just pray for this time as we open up your word that you bring it to life in our mind, to our minds, that we can see the reality of these true humans in these messy situations, but yet you're still at work and how relevant that is to our life, that we can trust in you in the mess we cause, that we can trust in you uh, in situations that uh, bring us anxiety or um, worry, that we can trust in you in all these things, Lord. So Lord, I pray for this time as we dive into your word, that you apply it to us, that you show us what we need to be taught, that you bring it to life in our lives. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was growing up, I always seemed to be looking for something. I was looking to be a part of a group. I was looking to have those friends that kind of give me meaning. And I was, was kind of like a hopeless romantic, thinking that if I could just get that one thing, life would make sense. And as a guy, too often it was, man, if I could just maybe just have that girlfriend, things would work out. That's probably spoken like someone who never had a girlfriend. I was thinking that. If I could just have that, it would work out. And since I was not a ladies man, ladies man, I always dreamed of what might have been. But I just wanted to be loved. I wanted to be accepted. I want someone to care for me. And that's a natural desire that led to maybe some wrong attachments or some wrong thinking. And the fact is that humans do that all the time. We want to be known. We want to be cared for. We want to be loved. And so we seek um, stuff that maybe gives us meaning or supports maybe what, how we view ourselves. And so we look towards others for that thing. It's because we all, humans, were made not to be our own. We were made to be in relationship. Fundamentally, humans were made to be in a relationship with their creator, with their God, and that we long for that relationship. And we also know that we're made to be in relationship with one another, for it wasn't long after God made one human that he had to make another because we were made for a relationship. But because of sin, ever since Adam and Eve went astray and they rebelled and they went their own way, because of sin, that relationship we were made to have with our creator God was broken, was tainted, was estranged. And it spread down to those relationships we're supposed to have with one another, all of a sudden become hard, and they don't give us what we think they should give us anymore. And so we're longing to place something in that gap we have in our hearts, that relational gap. And so we look towards all these different things. And so maybe we look towards maybe even popular. Man, if enough people love me or like my Instagram post or comment on my Facebook post, then I'm something. 
Or maybe we look towards success and we say, man, if, my, if, my, if I can get that next position on that ladder, if I can climb up to that, maybe I'll be someone and maybe I, that will give me meaning, purpose, and people will know me because of that. Or we look towards money. And we say, man, if I could just gain enough, if my, if my accounts get so good or if my portfolio, portfolio is really nice, maybe then I'll have a sense of feeling worthy. Or we even cultivate family. We see, we pour all of our energy into our kids and we live through them and we say, man, if I can just do this right, it'll be good and I'll be known. Some of those are really good things, but they're, they're never designed to be the ultimate thing. They're really good things, but we put our hopes and our dreams in them and we expect them to fill the void that only God can fill in our lives. And so we invest all these things all the while where God is the ultimate fulfillment we're looking for, the one who can satisfy us. This is a lesson that is told again and again through Scripture about how we look for other things to define us and satisfy us, but it's only God who can do it. And I believe is, is what we see in the story of Jacob gaining his sons and his children and the battle that goes on between Rachel and Leah over who holds the supremacy in Jacob's heart. Is that these two women were looking for meaning. These two women were looking for love. They just happened to be looking in the wrong place. So if you join me and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29, we're going to start at the end of uh, Genesis chapter 29, and we're going to see this story play out of Jacob gaining his children. And so this starts in chapter 29, verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So let's just look at what's going on in this instance right here. If, as, we, as we know, as we read before, Jacob had married Leah and then Rachel. He was tricked by his uncle and father-in-law. No time to discuss that. But he was tricked by his father-in-law, and so he ended up marrying Leah and then Rachel. And, but he clearly wanted only to marry Rachel, and so he loved Rachel. And so the text starts and says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Now, in the Hebrew, this hated doesn't merely mean like Jacob carried uh, a hatred towards Leah. It really just means that he loved Rachel and probably was more indifferent towards Leah. And so God right here, we see God having compassion upon Leah and gives, opens her womb and so she has sons. But we see this tragic story play out because if you read her, if you read what, how her, she responds to having kids, and then if you look at the name she calls the kids, you see that she really believes that if she can have enough boys, if she can have enough kids for Jacob, then he'll love her rather than Rachel. 
And so she says, so she has a son. She conceives and, and has a son named Reuben. And Reuben means see a boy. And she's like, see, Jacob, I've given you a boy. You should love me. And she even says that. She says, now he'll love me. And so she conceives again and names him Simeon. Why? Because Simeon sounds like the word, Hebrew word for heard. And so she's like, see, God has heard my prayer. I've been praying for kids because then Jacob's going to love me. And she has a third child, names him Levi, which sounds like the Hebrew word for attach. And she says, now my husband will be attached to me. Maybe she set her sights a little low, lower than love and says, maybe he just will be attached to me now because I've given him three sons. It makes your heart break for Leah as she's pursuing her husband through giving him sons. And then she has a fourth child. And there's a glimmer of hope because she names him Judah, which means praise. And she says, this time I'll praise the Lord. And so you see, maybe, maybe she's not trying to pursue Jacob and his love anymore for me, but now she's looking and says, wow, now I need to focus past him, Jacob, and up to God and says, this time I'm praising God for the gift he's given. But the story continues, and Rachel strikes back. Starting in, verse, uh, starting in chapter 30, it says, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf. Then even I may have children through her. She, so she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went in to her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she named his, called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come, so she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher, his name Asher. And so we see Rachel making the same mistake that Sarah had made before and takes her servant girl and gives her to Jacob because she says, if she bears a son through Jacob, then I can claim that child as my own. And so Bilhah goes in and Jacob gives her a son. That's a euphemism. And so we get uh, these two kids from Bilhah, Dan and Naphtali, and we see actually how Rachel views what happened through their names. Dan means judged or vindicated, and she's basically saying, Haha, see everyone? I'm vindicated. God loves me, and Jacob is going to love me. I can still give him a son, even as through my servant. And, she said, and then she names the second one, um, Naphtali, which means wrestlings. 
And she says, I've wrestled with my sister, and now I've won. It doesn't matter if she still has four and I only have two, but I've proven I can give Jacob kids. Well, Leah's not going to let that stand, and so she sees how the game is played, and so she responds in kind and takes Zilpah, you got to love these names, Bilhah and Zilpah, and gives, them, gives her to Jacob, which she gets Gad and Asher. And she's kind of maybe rubbing it in Rachel's face again, saying, Gad, good fortune to me, that makes number five. Or Asher, I'm happy, look at this, I'm being blessed. And women call me happy because I can claim all these kids as my own. And so you see these birth wars wrestling as these two women are really seeking their place within their family, but also probably seeking meaning and purpose and love and how they're known. And the story continues, and it gets even uglier. Starting in verse 14, it says, In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter? that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you for my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and Jacob listened to Leah, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Ishkar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a great and a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and named, called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her. And opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. And so we see this birth wars get even uglier. And the fact that Reuben, the firstborn of Leah, is out in the field, he finds some mandrakes. And mandrakes were thought to be an aphrodisiac as well as a, a fertility treatment uh, at that time. And so they, he finds these mandrakes, and so Rachel's like, give those to me because I, real human um, understanding, she's saying, I have not had a kid. Give those to me. And you can, feel, you can feel for her. She wants these. And Leah's like, wait a minute. You've taken my husband, and now you won't even take what my son finds in the field. And so they bargain for something that shouldn't be bargained for. And she bargained, and Rachel, who seems to control where Jacob goes at night, bargains for the rice for Jacob to go into Leah. And Leah's not subtle with this. She meets him even before he comes into the camp and says, Hey, I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. Come in with me. And then she names the kid Ishakar, which means wages. She's making everyone very clear to everyone, this is the son I bought with my son, other son's mandrakes. And then she has another son, Zebulun. And she says, great honor. Zebulun means honor. She's saying, great honor is given to me because now my, my husband has to have loved me. Six of my very own kids and two that I claim for my servant woman. 
He must honor me. And then she has a daughter from Jacob, Dinah, that's going to play into the stories as we go forward. But then you have to love the comment it says, God remembered Rachel. And he heard, he listened to her, that he heard her prayers, and he opened her womb. And so she bore Jacob Joseph, which means, may he add another, which means, it sounds also like a phrase that uh, God has taken away, and Rachel is really making a point that God has taken away my reproach, and she's praying, may he add me another, and we know that he will eventually. Uh, Rachel bears another child for Jacob named Benjamin, which completes the 12 sons of Jacob, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we see in this story the truth and reality of God's promise to Jacob being fulfilled. That, Jake, that God had promised Jacob back in, in chapter 28 that his offspring will be as numerous as the dust on the ground. Well, 12 sons is a pretty good start for that to be fulfilled. And so we see this promise being fulfilled. We see the story being pushed forward by this narrative that God's redemption plan is being carried out even in the midst of a messy, sinful situation and a dysfunctional family we have with Jacob and his wives. We see all those things and we can learn from that. <clears throat> And when we read the rest of the chapter, we see how God is with Jacob because Jacob gains in wealth, that he gains in, in herds and the size and the flocks. And he's, he's making a deal with Laban, his father-in-law, which sets up how he's about to leave uh, his father-in-law father and head back towards home. And we see that God is with Jacob through all of this and that God is the one giving the children as well as giving the, the wealth to Jacob. And when, before we dive into really what this means, we got to address maybe the elephant in the room, maybe the messiness of this situation, and we can address what is God's design for marriage in the first place. Because we can read this and we say, this doesn't make sense. This guy, Jacob, now has two wives and two concubines, and, and it gets a messy situation, and there's this function here, and we can say, is this what God intended for the human relationship? Well, it's not. That when we read this, what we have to remember, that this is describing a situation. A situation. This is a descriptive account of the people of God, and we see how they're probably influenced by the people around them, and they're influenced by their culture, and they've already gone off track, and they have let sin uh, taint their view of what marriage and family should look like, and so they thought this might be okay, but it clearly is not. That if you want to know what God's design for marriage is, we go back to the first marriage. That we go back to Genesis chapter 2, where God makes Eve for Adam, and he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that when Jesus and Paul both, when they referred back to marriage, they didn't go back to the accounts of the patriarchs and their marriages. They went back to the very beginning, the creation, and how God designed it. And they said, this is what marriage was intended to be. One man and one woman together for their lifetime. That that is how God designed it. And so we see 
we see when we read this, we shouldn't make the mistake of saying, well, this is, should be a prescriptive chapter for how we should have wives. I mean, I, I don't know how I could handle that. But um, we see the dysfunction that comes out of that. We see how it's wrong, and it should re- actually reassure us because even in the midst of dysfunction and sin and so much family drama, God's redemption plan is still at work and still pushing forward. And that's what it's showing us, this chapter is. But it also is showing us something else. That in between the battle between Leah and Rachel, we see something else, and that is the fight of being accepted and being loved that we all experience. And we can learn from that. I think what we can learn from this is the fact that God's gifts turn our hearts to him. That we have great gifts from God. Children are a great gift from God. Prosperity is a great gift from God. These relationships we experience in this life, they're great gifts from God. And we can name them again and again that we're given all these great gifts from God. And they are designed and their purpose is to turn our hearts to the giver. They're designed to lift our eyes up to the one who's given them to us. They're designed to move our hearts in such a way that we don't just look at the, the, the present pleasures of the gifts we have now, but we look beyond them at who gave them to us and rejoice in him, for they point to his goodness. God's gifts, God's good gifts, turn our hearts to him that we should be looking first and foremost to God for fulfillment. That, as I mentioned at the beginning, that when we have this problem that we look towards all these other things to fulfill our lives, but we should be looking towards God and Him alone for completion, satisfaction in our lives. And we see that played out in Leah and Rachel and their stories. That these two women are in a battle against each other. A battle for prominence in their family. A battle for their love of their husband. A battle against each other, probably just for bragging rights, as maybe siblings do. But they're in a battle with each other for meaning, purpose, satisfaction for their lives. They're, they're looking for love from their husband. And so they're, they're, they're orchestrating their lives to gain as many kids because they think that is how they're going to do it. But all the, re- all, all the while, they're looking for love in the wrong place. For even the love of Jacob will not satisfy them. And we know that's true because Rachel, who had the love of Jacob, was not satisfied. She needed kids to prove her worth. And so we see these women battling, fighting, because they're trying to find meaning, purpose, satisfaction in life. And we do the same thing. That we get caught up in all these good gifts that God gives us. We get caught up in all the things that we might be pursuing, all the good things that we have in life. We get caught up in them and we look to them instead of the one who has given them to us. We look to them for meaning. We look to them for purpose. We look to them to define us instead of looking to the God who has given to us and gives us ultimate peace and comfort and satisfaction in himself. That we need to be reminded again and again that these good things that God has given us, they are good. 
We should rejoice in them. We should make the most of them. We should use them to glorify Him. But in the end, they are not ultimate. For they will not last and they cannot bear the burden of all of our meaning and seeking of love upon them. But only God can. He ultimately fulfills. He ultimately satisfies. And all of these good gifts He gives us really just whet our appetite for Him. That God's gifts turn our This account makes it to him. And I love the fact that this account makes it very clear that these kids, the prosperity, all that Jacob received and their ladies received was from God himself. That God gave Leah and Rachel the kids they had. And we see in the verses that say that God saw Leah, he opened her womb. God listened to Leah, and she conceived. God remembered Rachel, Rachel and he, God listened to her and opened her womb. It's really direct. It's saying God's the one who did it. That even this whole shenanigans with the mandrakes, it wasn't the one who got the mandrakes that conceived a child. It was the one who didn't have the mandrakes. It's really clear that no treatment, no, no um, old wives tale was what brought this to be, but it was God himself providing for his people, blessing them with children. And so we see that these good gifts are answered to prayer because again and again refers to how God listened to these ladies as they're praying, that God's the one who responded. And we see later in the chapter that God's prosperity was from God, as Joseph's prosperity was from God as well, that he received these great benefits of huge flocks of sheep and, and being well off because God was blessing him. And Laban even directly mentions that. Like, I've been blessed because God's been working in your life. And it's the truth that James 1.17 explains that every good gift and very perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That God's a good giver. He's always been the good giver. And that will never change. All the good gifts we receive are from our Father in heaven, the Father of lights, who will never change who he is. And the amazing thing, again, with that good gifts we receive is it's all due to grace. Jacob did not deserve to have 12 kids. Leah and Rachel were not great examples of moral character that we should follow. These were not the heroes of the Old Testament. We're like, man, I want to be like Leah and Rachel and barter for my husband this night. These, that doesn't make sense. These were sinful human beings just like us, living in the circumstances they lived in, in a dysfunctional family. And yet, despite all that, based on God's grace and his grace alone, he blesses them and uses them. And that gives us great comfort because the same is true for us. That God is a good giver. That his blessings and his gifts are based not on what we do, but on his love and his care for us. How often is it, how easy is it to think when things are not going our way, when life is hard, when tragedy strikes, it's so easy to get in that mindset, man, if I had just been better if I had just been good, maybe God would not have allowed that to happen. Or maybe that thing I really want, if I could just be good enough, God would grant that to me. 
How easy is that in our sinful minds to think in that way? But the truth of the matter is, is not how good you are. It's not how good you can perform his laws. It's not how well you can live this life that, is de- that determines how many gifts we get from God. But he gives his good gifts freely and based on his grace as he loves you. And furthermore, even the things we might not consider good, the Bible makes clear are part of his good gifts as he's growing you, maturing you, leading you, pushing your your story forward where you cling to him more and are transformed bit by bit to be more like Christ. Now in all these things we can say God is good and that the good we experience in this life lifts our eyes up to him. Looking past just what we have in this life to see who he is and the love that he is, that he gives us right now. So take a moment. Stop right now. Think about all the good God has given you in this life. From the small to the medium to big, think about all the blessings that he has given you. And then let's be able to say with Rachel, with Leah, I mean, I will praise the Lord. That we look at these good gifts and we allow them to turn our hearts, lift our eyes to him. And we praise him, knowing that all that he gives us is good through Christ. God's good gifts, God's gifts, turn our hearts to him. This account of Joseph receiving his sons, it pushes the narrative along. It sets up the accounts that are going to come after in Genesis uh, and, and and the dysfunction that continues to play out but it also points to something greater. It points to the, the greater promise that this is the lineage of, of Jacob who, who comes from Isaac, who comes from Abraham, this, this promise of God throughout time that this is my family that I'm going to bless the whole world through. This is the lineage that's being carried out that one of Jacob's sons, Judah, will be actually the one who starts the, the royal line or his descendants start the royal line of King David, the royal line from which Jesus Christ descends from, the true king, the king of the universe, and that blesses the whole world through his gospel, the good news that he saves us in spite of ourselves. He saves us by his grace alone, that all we have to do is believe in him and we have salvation, freedom from our sins, and eternal life of God our Father. That's a great story. That this is a, a, a Lincoln. And so it pushes us forward and, and points to the Messiah who's going to come from this tribe that's descended from Jacob. But this account also presents and points to Messiah and, the, and Jesus in the way that it upholds this theme of sonship. How sons are a great blessing and a gift from the Lord and how God is going to be blessing people through their sons. And we see this theme throughout Genesis, starting in Genesis 3, 6, 15, where their offspring of Eve is, is, is foretold who's going to uh, crush the head of the serpent. And, and that this points to the coming of Christ, that the son that we're all looking for, Jesus Christ, and that Joseph's sons are, are a little partial fulfillment of that promise that they're continuing the line, but it all 
pushes for and lifts our eyes to the fact that there's an ultimate fulfillment, a completion of that promise coming, and that is the Son given for all of God's people. That this idea of getting these sons and how a blessing is are just a little, a little snapshot of the true blessing of the Son who steps down from heaven to earth who enters life as a helpless babe, who lives just like one of us, who lives a life we could not live, a perfect life in obedience with God, who goes to the cross where he had no sin, but he takes our sin, our rightful punishment upon himself as he dies for us. All so that he could rise for us, showing the life that we'll have if we believe in him. All so that we can now, through him, have life right now, and life everlasting with God as his people. That the son that this story points to is the son that meets our greatest need. The, the son that all that need, that, 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 that filling, that void, the gap in our life that we're looking to fill, that he comes along, the promised one, who fills that greatest need that we could ever have. That when you crave for meaning, when you crave for love, when you want you to just be known, here comes the one who knows you and loves you and, and brings you into fulfillment and satisfaction as he brings you into to the family of God, that this is the gift of God that is the greatest gift that could never be better than the gift we have in Jesus Christ who completes our whole life. And so this good gift, the son, which this passage, this, this account points to, lifts our hearts to Jesus and God like none other, for it shows us the truth of how much God loves us. It shows us the truth of how God is working even in the mess for us. It shows us the truth of how God is moving heaven and hell and all of what is in this world so that he can bring us back to him. This is the truth that turns our eyes and our hearts to God. If you don't know Christ and the gift that he is, I just ask you to consider him. Gaze upon him and see his magnificence and beauty. Look upon him and see how he is the fulfillment and completion of all that came before him and that how all of the New Testament flows from him and that we have life because of him. Look upon him and know him for who he is, truly the greatest gift we could ever receive. And if you do know Jesus, I ask you again, look back to him. The gift that was given by grace where you no longer have to earn your place. The gift that's given by grace so that you know that you're loved despite all that you've done. The gift that's given by grace that brings you into God's kingdom not based on your achievements, not based on how popular you are, not based even on how nice of a person you are, but a gift given by grace that brings us into God's kingdom based on God's love and his grace alone. That when you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are God's. Period. There's no question mark in that. That you are God's and that reframes your life and that whenever, if you know Jesus Christ, whenever you struggle, whenever you question, whenever you're concerned about what is going on, look back to him and know that you're loved. Look back to him and know where you stand in him with God. And let that good gift of Christ turn your heart back 
to God. God's gifts turn our hearts to him. So let's look upon our God and rejoice and praise his holy name. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this day in which we can come together and praise your holy name. Thank you for this day in which we can read your word, be moved by it, know the truth of your story, know how you are working even in the midst of our story. Lord, I pray for all of us that we can find our satisfaction and our meaning, our love, our, our seeking of love all in you and you alone. I pray that we can look at what you've given us and be moved to praise your holy name. I pray that we can look upon the greatest gift, Jesus Christ, and know your love and walk in light of it. Lord, we love you. We seek you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, we have a chance to